safety improvements are in the works near Mossville Elementary School on Old Galena Road. We've been planning this for a long time. We just got the money recently, so that's why we're going to construction. More on all things road construction just ahead on All Things Peoria. Good afternoon, I'm Jody Holtz. Coming up, Peoria County Highway Department engineer Amy McLaurin provides an update on some of her department's projects. And you'll hear a recap on what happened in Springfield after Illinois lawmakers passed a $50 billion annual budget. One of the main delays came from a program which gives Medicaid-style health care to undocumented residents. Plus, a new program from the Peoria County Regional Office of Education hopes to boost preschool and kindergarten readiness and create confident parents, all from the comforts of of their own home. Those stories plus local news just ahead. This is WCBU's All Things Peoria on 89.9 FM and WCBU.org. Support for WCBU and WCBU.org comes from the General Wayne A. Downing Peoria International Airport. Flying PIA supports the local economy and is the local option to travel for business or pleasure. Trips begin and end at Peoria International Airport. Details at flypia.com. Broadcasting from the campus of Bradley University, this is WCBU's news magazine, All Things Peoria, and I'm Jody Holtz. Appreciate you being here with me on your Wednesday afternoon. Peoria County Highway Department engineer Amy McLaren says there's two seasons in Illinois, snow season and road construction season. Now is definitely the latter of those two. McLaren recently joined WCBU's Tim Shelley in studio to discuss some of her department's projects, including safety improvements near Mossville Elementary School on Old Galena Road. There's a lot of activities at that school. Um, We've heard from some of the administrators at the school Uh, some of the parents out there. We've been planning this for a long time. We just got the money recently, so that's why we're going to construction. We've we've upgraded that whole corridor from uh, the roundabout on the south to Cedar Hills on the north. So this is the last project that finishes off that area. And so we're you know, get the signals all correct out there. And so it'll be easier flow in for the school. And also on the other side of the road, there's a large soccer complex. So that'll help folks get in and out of that easier. So we have had some crashes at that location. And yes, we did want to make sure that was improved to minimize our crashes at that location. And w- when you're looking at all these projects, you've, you've obviously got a limited pot of money every year. You've got a lot of infrastructure needs around the county. And, and just for information, how, how many miles of roads and you maintain throughout the county? Sure. Yeah, we have we have uh, about 300 miles of roads, mm-hmm. and that includes some roads in the city of Peoria as well. Um, but 300, a lot of them are rural or suburban type of roads. Uh, we also have about 100 bridges that we maintain, which a bridge is anything uh, that's over 20 feet in in opening for the drainage to get through. So, um, so yeah, a lot of lot of infrastructure to maintain. We try to prioritize it. Uh, we do work with our uh, friends at Bradley University. They they grade our road infrastructure every year for us, and so we try to look at those numbers and see where the the lowest ratings are and, and put our maintenance and construction efforts to those roads. And and we, we do our best, of course, with the money we got. We could, if we had more money, we would do more work, uh, but we were trying to do our best. And we do rely on the public to to give us feedback if, if there's locations that we can do a, a fix, a pothole fix, a shoulder fix, that sort of thing. So, um, so we're trying to, to get it done for the public as best we can. 
So, so that really is something then instead of going on Facebook and saying, oh, there's a pothole in so-and-so location, they should instead call somebody who actually deals with that so they can get it fixed. You know, it's so interesting you say that because in, in Illinois, there are so many road jurisdictions. We have the state of Illinois. We have the municipalities. We have various municipalities in the county. We have the county roads. We have a bunch of townships. So a lot of folks, they don't even, they don't even know when they need to call about potholes or snow removal or those sort of things. So we, we do have a nice uh, website at peoriacounty.gov, and you can find out what your road jurisdiction is. Uh, the Illinois Department of Transportation also has a similar iRoads uh, website that they can that you can see who's got the jurisdiction. But uh, sometimes we feel calls from other departments, and I say, I say to the public, if if you see something that doesn't look right and you got some issues, let us know. And if it's not us, we'll get it to the right agency. But but there's there's a lot of confusion out there as far as who maintains what. And I, I know for the last couple of years, there's been a lot of talk, obviously, about supply chain problems and not able to get stuff. Uh, is some of that starting to ease off for you? It is. It is. We were having some issues with concrete, of all things, and reinforcing bar and some of the steel we use in our beams, some of the some of the beams, the bars, that sort of thing. Um, it's, it's getting a little bit better. Um, the area that we're still struggling in is has to do with our fleet, uh, the trucks that we use on the roads, the plow the snow, uh, the orders for that that takes months, lots, lots of months. Uh, once we order them uh, to help to help get those trucks back on the road, um, to to plow the snow, to to move the rock, to to clean up those sort of things, we've been using using our vehicles that we have currently, and we've been maintaining them best we can. But but that's really where our supply chain issue, that's where the choke point is right now, is a lot of the a lot of the vehicles, the trucks, and some of the equipment. But but as far as the material side, it, it is loosening up a little bit, thank goodness. Yeah, and w- since we've mentioned it a couple times, it feels very strange to be talking about snow in late May, but because you said it takes it takes months and months to prepare for that, it's already in your mind, right? It is. It is. Our, we may, I, we make sure that our salt dome. We have two salt domes, one up by the Princeville Dunlap area, and one over uh, kind of by the county jail, the airport area on Maxwell Road. And each each dome holds about forty five hundred tons of salt, which which is it's a good amount of salt. Um, and we we make sure that those are full before any thoughts of, of when are there so we don't have any issues with supply chain or delivery or anything like that. So we want to make sure we're ready to go um, as soon as as soon as possible, honestly. And you mentioned the airport, so I'll bring this up. We were talking about this a little bit before uh, we started recording. There's a, there's a project in the works for the next couple of years, not this year, but there, there's a lot of work planned for the area out by the airport, Maxville and Middle Roads. Tell me a little bit about the needs out there and what you plan to do. We are really excited to finally get this project on Maxwell Road. This is between 116 and Middle Road. It's it's kind of by Dirksen, off of Dirksen area. If, if you're familiar with the area around the Harley-Davidson dealership, that's, that's what we're talking about. This is a big project. We've been saving up for it for many years. Um, maintaining the road as it is the best we can. It's not in great shape. We know that. Um, we're, this is going to be two projects. The first one will be in 2024, and it'll be the bridge project. There's a bridge that went over what used to be the railroad, the Union Pacific Railroad, which is no longer no longer running through that area. So we're doing the bridge first. We're upgrading that so it can take 
can, can take uh, current loads that are required on the roads, um, the 80,000 pound uh, vehicles. So we're going to do that in 2024, and then 2025, we're going to be doing the road portion and upgrading the road from there uh, back to, to middle road. It'll be um, curb and gutter, storm sewer, sidewalk. Uh, it'll be much, much nicer than it is now. So we're excited to finally be delivering that to the public because they've been, they've been asking for it for quite some time. That was Peoria County Highway Department engineer Amy McLaren speaking with WCBU's Tim Shelley. This is All Things Peoria. Thank you for tuning in to All Things Peoria. I'm Jody Holtz. Illinois lawmakers have left Springfield after passing a $50 billion annual budget. Democrats also used their supermajorities to push through a number of other bills that Republicans largely opposed. State House reporter Cameron Cudinello provides a recap in this conversation with Eric Stock. So the big story of every spring legislative session is the budget. Lawmakers approved it. It didn't seem to take very long to get a budget passed once lawmakers started debating it, but it's still, but lawmakers still miss their self-imposed deadline to get it done the week before Memorial Day. So what was holding it up? Yeah, so session did go um, a week past the schedule, scheduled May 19th adjournment. Um, just for some context, they usually go into Memorial Day weekend and end up working on Memorial Day. Um, so we did avoid that this year. But one of the main delays came from a program which gives Medicaid-style health care to undocumented residents. Um, that was It's forecasted to cost a bit more than they initially planned for. Um, so the budget that they ended up um, passing um, gives $550 million to this program, which is about half of the $1.1 billion that the program is expected to need. So there was a good amount of debate between the Democratic Party leaders about how exactly to go about handling that. Um, and so the compromise that they ultimately reached was they passed a separate piece of legislation which gives the governor rulemaking powers to try and control costs and control enrollment at that program. And that seemed to be the Republicans' main concern about the bill since this budget vote went along party lines? Yeah, so the Republicans had um, a lot of their usual concerns about um, overspending. They're worried that ultimately this budget, um, with the budget plan, that spending is going to overshadow revenues and un- make, the ba- make the budget unbalanced. Um, but there were also two other things that Republicans wanted that they ultimately did not fully get. They wanted a $4 raise for caregiver workers who work with the developmentally disabled and the budget gave a $2.50 raise. Um, So they were disappointed about that. And then they were also disappointed that the budget did not include an extension for the Invest in Kids Scholarship Program, um, which gives residents a tax credit if they give scholarship donations to private schools. Illinois became the first state to approve a ban on book bans. It says libraries would lose state funding if they remove materials because of, quote, partisan or doctrinal disapproval. Book bans have been on the rise in other parts of the country in the latest culture war. How did that debate play out in Springfield? Yeah, it was certainly one of our um, spirited debates from session. Um, We had Republicans saying that these decisions should be left up to local library boards and that for the state to do this is an overreach. Um, They think that if books are inappropriate, then um, individual library boards should get to make the decision on whether or not to carry those books. 
Um, and then on the other side, we had Democrats saying that people should have access to all books and that it should be up to the individual person on what they read and don't read. And then we also had a further debate about school libraries um, with Republicans saying that there should be an exception for school libraries and Democrats still disagreeing and say that it should be up to the parents on what books their kids do and do not read. Were there any consequential votes that won anything close to bipartisan support? Yeah, there were a couple votes that got um, bipartisan support. Um, One big one is the end on the ban to nuclear construction. Um, That bill actually had a Republican sponsor in the Senate and a Democratic sponsor in the House. Um, So it ultimately split the Democratic Party with moderate Democrats siding with the Republicans and saying that these new plants should be built and more progressive Democrats questioning if nuclear energy really is green and questioning issues with waste disposal. Um, But a lot of the votes, such as gender-neutral bathrooms, ending deceptive practices at crisis pregnancy centers, and full-day kindergarten were passed on partisan lines. As we continue with Capitol reporter Cameron Cutinello, I'm Eric Stock. There were several measures, including one on gun control, that came up this session but did not get across the finish line. Can you highlight a few of those and explain what happens now? Yeah, so some there was a couple bigger pieces of legislation that got kind of just proposed too late into session for it to go through the whole whole track in time. Um, one of these was a gun control bill, which would allow judges um, to order people who are subject to personal protection orders to surrender their weapons to law enforcement. There was another bill that has more than a dozen changes to cannabis law in Illinois, um, which would include allowing drive-through and curbside sales. And then there is also one which includes some um, some tax breaks for the bears as they move to Arlington Heights. So these bills, um, a lot like the Invest in Kids Act, will be taken up in veto session and further discussed um, to if whether or not they should pass. Um, so yeah, veto session, which is scheduled to start October 26. That was State House reporter Cameron Cudinello speaking with Eric Stock. And you're listening to All Things Peoria. This is 89.9 FM and WCBU.org. You're listening to All Things Peoria. I'm Jody Holtz. Navigating education for young children can be hard, especially for those new to the area and unsure what options are out there. Parents can struggle with understanding things like benchmarks, social-emotional development, what age to start preschool, kindergarten readiness, and if their parenting is, quote, good or right. This is why the Peoria County Regional Office of Education has launched a new home visiting program. The program is designed for children under the age of three and expecting parents. This is in an effort to make this whole process a little bit easier and all from the comfort of their own home. The Home Visiting Initiative is just one branch of the ROE's Early Learning for All program, which also includes the office's Preschool for All program, also known as PFA. Anna Hansard is the Home Visiting Supervisor for the ROE. After applying for the Home Visiting Grant before the COVID-19 pandemic, Hansard said the office was finally awarded the grants from the states in the late fall. Um, both programs are state-funded 100% 
event. Um, it covers salary, all the needs that we could possibly need to um, service the children and their families. Well, Hansard says there are other home visiting programs currently operating in Greater Peoria, there's still a large unfulfilled need for these types of early childhood services. So when we wrote for the grant, we look at the data in the area to see um, how many families have children three and under, how many of them are getting current home visiting, and then how many possible like families we could serve in that role. Um, and the data showed that only like 12% of possible families were getting services. The home visiting program officially started in February and currently has eight different families enrolled, half of which are multi-children households or prenatal. There is no cost for families to enroll. During visits, the program employs a model called Parents as Teachers, which has the parent in the home take the lead in facilitating activities with their child in collaboration with a parent educator. Hansard says the parent educator and the parent focus on things like parent-child interaction, developmental skills based on the child's age, family well-being, and goal setting. It's a really strength-based program for the parents. So we already look at like, these are your great, amazing things that you're doing. What else do you want to do? Or how can we use that skill to help you in an area that you think you want to do better in? It's 100% parent-led, but it's that mm -hmm. partnership. We help facilitate their thinking and empowering them. Christina Kidd currently has an 18-month-old in the home visiting program, but also has a four-year-old in the ROE's PFA program, as well as an eight-year-old who has completed PFA. She says even as a seasoned parent, the affirmation she gets from her home visiting educator is really nice. Yeah, it's just the affirmation that I'm like doing a good job, that she is a smart girl, that I'm doing everything right and you know, doing my best and having that support. She's very supportive, which I really love. I'm always looking to do better. So if anybody can come in, like come right to me and tell me, well, this could work better. Maybe try this or, you know, her little emotions or anything I could do better. I want to do better. Kid walks me through what a typical home visit looks like in her household. She says the visits are typically accompanied by a lot of play. It's honestly like kind of having a friend come over, truthfully, uh, but she just kind of builds you up at the same time, like a really positive friend. We talk a little bit. She has papers and handouts that we discuss and uh, we do activities with the baby, like age appropriate, obviously, like putting things into other things or, you know, stringing beads onto a string. So we do that and all while talking and playing and laughing and just having a good time. And it's really quick. It only it goes so fast. It's only about an hour's time and she's out the door again. The parent educator visits Kid and her family once every two weeks. And Kid said she's already noticing a difference. For example, Kid will frequently reflect back on different lessons or play strategies the parent educator taught her and see if her baby remembers them. And often, Kid says she does. So why is it important to work with children on these motor and social skills at such a young age. Hansard says it's because 90% of brain development happens in the first five years of your life. You're making all of these connections, you're experiencing the world, you're understanding how things work. So we're there to support families in that growth and development of their child, especially language and cognitive abilities so that they can easier um, make those connections when they're school age is what we call them once they start kindergarten. Kindergarten readiness is a huge concern for parents, especially in Peoria. Hansard says only about 10% of kids in the greater 
Peoria area are ready to learn when they enter kindergarten. That's according to the State of Illinois' Kindergarten Individual Development Survey. And programs like home visiting and PFA are crucial when thinking about how to increase that number. Our preschool program has kids for two years, so to see their growth from like a tiny little three-year-old to a five-year-old getting ready to go to kindergarten, our hope now is we can see these three-year-olds coming ready mm-hmm. to learn in preschool and follow routines and have the social and friendship competencies that we are always seeing when they come even to kindergarten. How long a child is involved in the home visit program varies from case to case, but Hansard says theoretically a child could be in it from the time before they're born to the age of three. Throughout this time, tests that go by the name of ages and stages are conducted to monitor the child's development throughout the process. We also, since our program is about family well-being, We use a tool that measures parent-child interaction. And so those things are reported to the state to prove that, like, we're doing things that are helping these outcomes grow. And then same at the preschool level, we do um, something called the early learning scale, and that measures the child's progress over the two years in our program. Once a child turns three, they will automatically have a spot in the ROE Preschool for All program. And for kid, that was a big deal because getting your child into preschool can be a pretty competitive process. I know families that pay a lot of money for their schooling and spots are very limited and it is pretty cutthroat uh, from what I understand. There's a number of ways a family could qualify for the home visit program. While income is a factor taken into consideration, you do not need to be low income income to qualify or have any sort of referral. Hansard says the state provides certain requirements they have to follow, but as an individual program, ROE is able to determine which qualifications are more weighted. Being a first-time parent could be something that qualifies you. So it's not like that people have to think like, oh, I have had all these big things happen to me. It doesn't have to be so extreme. It can be, though, definitely. Mm -hmm. And for parents who are still questioning if the home visit program might be right for them, Kid says she just can't recommend it enough. I have a couple friends that have actually set up screenings for their children through, like, my recommendation. And that's awesome because I know that their child will thrive Mm -hmm. uh, being in the program. People should definitely consider it. Free doesn't always mean right. It doesn't always mean less than. It is an excellent program. It's absolutely worth the time, the effort. For more information on how to set up a screening and ROE's Early Learning for All program, find this story at WCBU.org. And that is all for today's episode of All Things Peoria from WCBU, a public service of Bradley University and Illinois State University. I'm Jody Holtz. Thanks for being here with me today. Story help came from Tim Shelley and Eric Stock. Holden Kellogg produced this episode of All Things Peoria. Peoria, which is made possible in part by the General Wayne A. Downing Peoria International Airport. For more information on all of these stories, head to WCBU.org. And if you haven't, subscribe to the All Things Peoria podcast on Apple, Spotify, Google, or the NPR app. And if you haven't let us know what you think about the show, you can do so by commenting on our Facebook page or Peoria Public Radio. And while you're at it, give us a follow on Instagram at WCBU Radio. This is 89.9 FM in WCBU. Peoria Public Radio, a part of the NPR Network.